You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we're going to talk all about strategies when dealing with transition offense. Now, with transition, it's such a big and important part of our game. And understanding how to think about transition strategies you can help implement with your team and just, you know, understanding how your players need to be behaving on transition offense is super important. And in today's episode, we are going to talk about a ton of strategies. So it's an episode you don't want to miss. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after a number of years coaching competitive volleyball and as the head coach of the biggest college in Canada, I've become obsessed with helping coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to coach efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is the Volleyball by Design podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 138 of the Volleyball by Design podcast. How is everyone doing out there today? Another week of volleyball in the books. We, um... We had a, a game just yesterday, went to another fifth set, you know, I got it, like I said, I, you guys know I got a young team this year, and uh, and fifth set are going to happen, unfortunately, the last fifth set we had, we lost 17-15 in the fifth set, but this fifth set, we won 15-12, so a little bit of a different story, uh, it was a great win for the team, guys are super pumped, looking forward to closing out our regular season on Saturday against loyalist and you know it's um yeah it's exciting i was happy for our guys it was unreal you know thinking about this game uh, five set thriller and on the court we had two i lie three three second year players on the team let's just imagine this we have three second year players on the team and the rest are first year players so there are seven players that play including a libero Four of them were rookies. Three of them were second-year players on our team. And one, actually, I lied. One player is a fifth-year. He was a fifth-year. He transferred a few years ago, but it's a second-year on our team. But regardless, he's a fifth-year. And then the other one, the other two are second-years. And then the other four are first-years. So really impressed with the team you know we've been growing together and it's been it's been a, a fun ride and, and you know the, the we got a great a great group of young athletes who are continuing to get better every day and it's what it's all about so if you are a new listener welcome to the podcast my name is coach brian singh i'm the host of the pod and if you are a regular listener as always you know much i appreciate you tuning into another episode where as you all know the goal is to give you tangible step-by-step feedback strategies that you can take back to your team and apply right away. And when I was making my notes for today's episode, and we're going to talk about transition. I mean, this this could go on for like three episodes. There is just so much to talk about when it comes to transition uh, that I, I don't want to bore you for two hours on the pod, but um, I, I, it took me a while to narrow it down to what I think is really, really important. Like the things that you know, you're going to take away and be able to say, okay, well, this is how I need to look at transition on my team, or this is what we can implement. And that's what I'm going to try to do today. So let's, um, let's dive into it. Let's start off by saying that, I don't know if you guys know this, but, uh, and again, I don't, I don't know the most updated stats, but you know, a couple of years ago, 50% of offense comes from transition. Isn't that incredible? 
50% of offense comes from transition. So if you're not focusing on transition, um, you're, you're missing out on a lot. You know, I, I know, and by the way, I'm guilty of this too, where I tend to just focus on serve-receive. You know, I'm a big serve-receive guy. So I like to focus on serve-receive. But unfortunately, you know, serve-receive is important. Don't get me wrong. And, and I think that's the reason why, I, you know, my team is still competitive because of our ability to serve-receive. And, and serve tough, but transition, understanding what to do with transition is really important because you can generate points. Because it's like when you get that slowdown or when you get a free ball, you know, like, I, and I, you might have heard me say this, but 90% of free balls should be scoring. So nine out of 10 times, you should be scoring on a free ball. And then transition, transition's an opportunity for you to put the ball away as well. You know, that means that you've successfully slowed down the opposing attack which is very hard to do in volleyball because as you know, volleyball is designed for offense to win. So when you slow down an attack and potentially get a dig or a stop to score now is very important. And that could, that could significantly up, you know, put your team in a good position uh, to win. So transition is very important and 50% of our offense comes from it. Now let's talk about, there are four to six different types of transition. And I want to walk you through really quickly all of them so we have free ball transition free ball transition is when the other team is giving you a, like it's, it's it's not an attack it's not an attack it's a simple ball where you can you know ro uh, transition your players to get a good you know ball up to your setter and run an offense you can have an overpass so an overpass is when you serve and they bump it right back over maybe not on purpose but that's an overpass. So how well can we transition out of overpass situations? Then we have in-system attacking, okay? And you can have in-system attacking off the block or on a, or in, in between a seam or a one-on-nothing. So in-system means when the ball goes up to the setter, the setter has all four hitting options available to them. It was a good pass. Setter had a good amount of time to get under the ball and make their set. Okay, we have, um, so then we have in-system attacking with seams, in-system attacking off the block. So basically that means that if it touches off the block in, and onto your side, you have an opportunity to play it. Um, and then seams just means if they attack it and, like without anyone touching it on the block, but you're able to get a dig and you can make a, make a play out of that. And then the other one is out of system. So same deal, out of system attacking off the block or seams. So whether they hit, they touch off the block or they just hit straight into your defense, into your backward defense. And in the event you don't know what out of system attacking is, it's basically when the setter does not have all four hitting options and probably only has maybe one or two options available to them. That is an out of system ball. It's not, you know, where the setter has full control in terms of all four hitters and, you know, they had enough time to get under the ball and things like that. Okay, so those are the, the four to six different types of transitions. Free ball transition, overpass, in-system attack with seams, in-system attack off the block, as well as out-of-system attack uh, with seams and out-of-system attack off the block. All right, so let's talk a little bit about this. So let's, uh, we'll go to a little bit of free ball, um, free ball slash off the block type of situations. Actually, regardless, this would count. Footwork, let's talk about footwork. So footwork is important. And it's tough on the podcast to describe footwork in detail, but footwork is one of those things where it's going to help your players get in a position to be ready to attack the ball prior to the setter setting it. 
and the effective footwork off the net, believe it or not, is not backpedaling. So, you know, if, a, if your player goes up for a block, the attacker pushes the ball over, we get a block touch or we get a dig, how is that front court player backing off the net to get ready to attack? Now, backpedaling is not the most efficient off a block. If it's a free ball, sure. If it's a free ball, you can backpedal because you got a lot of time and you got a ton of time. But if it's off a block or if you are jumping to block and then you have to come down and do footwork out, we want to make sure that they're doing the correct footwork. Now, with the, the pins, so your left side and right side hitters, they're going to be executing a four-step pattern. And with the middle, it's just a three-step pattern. So I'll use the left side as an example because they're the easier ones to do. But basically, I want you to imagine, now if you're driving, do not close your eyes, stay on the road. But if you're not driving, close your eyes and you can kind of visualize it with me. So if a left-sided player is coming off the block, remember left side, so they're blocking the right-side attacker, okay? So the left-side player goes up for the block on the right side, comes down. With their right foot, they're going to take a step into the court, okay? Or rather, a step kind of like parallel to the sideline. So they're coming off the block. They're going to take one step out to the sideline into the court. Then they're going to take their next step with their left foot and basically be turned completely to outside the court. And then they're going to hop back on their last two steps, all right? So let me just explain that one more time. It's kind of weird, but uh, it's it, this is the fourth step that they do. So they land, right foot goes out. Okay, so right foot goes out, parallel to the sideline, kind of facing the backcourt. Left foot comes over. Now we're completely facing uh, outside the court, not inside the court at all, outside the court. And then when we're facing outside the court, we're going to just hop back on our last two. So right, left, and then right, left. So our right foot is now in front of our left, and we're getting ready to be ready to approach. That's the footwork. Um, if it's a little bit confusing, just you can probably Google four steps, four step footwork off the net, or transition footwork off the net, things like that. You'll 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 see it. Middles is just three. Same thing. Middle comes off the block, opens out into the court. One, two on the third turns, and then we're we're back in. Okay. I, I'm sorry, not on the third, but one step, and then the hop back with the last one, two. That's really simple because they're only going to the 10-foot line. They're not going anything further than that. So that, that's your footwork. So just being aware of footwork is important. And if you weren't aware of it, well, guess what? Now you are. And now we can help our middles and our opposite and right and left side get ready to, uh, to, to do that footwork. Now, the next thing that's really important is make sure your players have the ability to track the ball. And I know it sounds pretty obvious, like tracking the ball. Of course, they're going to look at where the ball is coming from and make their approach accordingly. And this predominantly has to do with middles. One of the biggest things I see with middles is they always, they're always jamming the setter, like running into the setter or, or getting in the way of the setter getting to the ball. And we have to make sure our middles are trained to track the ball appropriately and efficiently. So when the ball is being passed, the middle's eyes should always have that passer in their vicinity, like in like in their in their peripherals at the very least. Because if they don't, what's going to happen is they're going to be facing the setter, and the setter is going to be getting a ball that's being passed from somewhere behind the middle attacker, and they're not going to know where to go. They're going to start approaching where the setter is, but the setter is going to have to move potentially to get that ball. So middles have to track the ball. That way, when the ball is being passed, they can see where the ball is going, find where the setter will be, and then make an approach accordingly. Because sometimes 
You know, a ball may not be passed directly to where the setter's standing. The setter may have to move to get that ball. And we, or middles, have to be able to recognize, wait a minute, am I going to still be going in front of the setter? Or am I going to be going behind the setter? Because if the ball gets dug or passed further to position three, four, like in between three and four or closer to three, the setter may not, the middle may not want to go in front of the setter. The middle may want to go behind the setter. And in fact, they may, that may help free up the one-on-one a lot easier if the middle did that. And what's really important about this one is if the middle does do that, then we have to make sure the middle communicates that with the setter. So if the middle blocker or middle attacker rather decides that they're going to go behind, it's really simple. All you do is say, hey, I'm behind. I'm going behind. I'm behind. I'm behind. And the, and the setter is right there. They'll hear them say that. Okay. All right, so middle, really make sure you track the ball effectively. Opposites and, and left sides, it's very, it's not hard to track the ball because there's so much distance, okay? Now, what happens if the setter is back row versus front row when it comes to free ball transition? So we're, we're still talking about free ball here. Now, if the setter is front row, it's pretty simple. The setter is already front row, so the three back row players are already in their positions. Everybody, you know, Make sure they're ready for the free ball. Free ball goes up. We can run an, an, an offense. Now, if the setter is back row, we do not want the setter getting the first ball. Okay, we all we all can agree on it. In a free ball situation, we do not want the setter getting the first ball. So as soon as we recognize that it's a free ball, the setter is going to release and go to two and a half to get ready to set. Naturally, that's what's going to happen. What's supposed to happen though that, well we, well, we have a problem if you notice. If the setter releases when the setter's back row, that means position one right now is open and we don't want that. So all that happens is the player in position six shifts over to one, the player in position five shifts over to six, and the player in position four shifts over to five. That's it. One, everyone just shifts slightly so we can be in a better position to pass the ball. And in a free ball, it's very unlikely a free ball is going to go to position four because that's a front court position. I mean, it can happen. And if that if that's the case, then we have to make that read and see that they're going to use their hands to get the ball there. But normally, if they're bumping the ball over the net with their platform, it's going to go to five, six, or one. It's not going to go to four. So we're, we're playing the, 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 the high chances here. We're playing the probability. And we play high percentage. So that, that's, that's kind of where it's going to go. So there's how we transition if the setter is back row, okay? Now, the next thing I want to talk about is free ball transition when it comes to play calling. So here's normally what happens. When a setter does a play call, okay? So let me just recap here. If you don't know what a play call is, a play call is the setter signals to the team before the serve, whether we're serving or they're serving. It doesn't matter. The setter signals to the team whatever play that they're going to be running. Now, Sim, now, we don't, we're not running a, a combo attack every single play, okay? A combo attack is where we have multiple hitters running all these different lanes to do creative things and free up the one-on-one or one-on-thing. We're running basic volleyball attack. So when we, play, when we do a play call, we're predominantly talking to the middle, and the middle is either going to run many different routes. They're going to run like the 51, the quick attack. They may run an inside shoot, 30 attack, shoot the gap, 61, which is a back quick. They can run a lot of different things. And that's basic offense. That's when we're, we do the play call. And what this play call means is the next in-system ball that we get, that's the play you're going to run. Okay. So here is what's very important. If the other team is serving and we get an in-system ball, you run it right then and there. If we are serving, we have to play defense. 
And on the very next in-system ball, we run it. If it's not an in-system ball, we don't run it. And that stays true for an entire rally. So let's say, for example, I'm going to give you a hypothetical here. Let's say that we serve the ball over the net. They set, attack, we get a block touch, we dig it up to the attack line. That is not in system. So we don't run anything. We will go back to our basic offense where everyone just runs their regular lanes. Then we hit the ball back over. They get a block touch and they now free ball it over. And we are going to be in system on a free ball, right? Because if it's a free ball, we should be in system. Now you run the play. Whatever the play call was, now you run it. So it's on your very next in-system ball whenever that comes. And by the way, if they stop that in-system ball and give you back another free ball, you don't run it again. You go back to basics. You only run the play once, okay? Unless you have a specific custom offense where you've given your team uh, you know, the go-ahead by saying you can run it two times in a row if it's the same rally, then sure. Uh, we don't run it two times in a row because uh, like psychologically, you're, the, the defense is going to be like, wait a minute, they just ran this combo play. Let's be ready for that, that A combo play again. And by them doing that, they at least they're you know second-guessing themselves. You're forcing them to make a decision. And if we go back to basics where middle just goes 51 and then we have our pins, then we're able to be more specific on our offense and probably free up the one-on-one or one-on-nothing, okay? So that is what a play call means. It's on the very next in-system ball. And just to, again, just to be very uh, simple strategy here, free ball transition, we want to make sure that all four hitters are jamming all four hitting lanes. So when, when I say that, I want to make sure you understand is that that means that the left side hitter is approaching on the left side and available to be a hitting option. The middle is approaching in the middle and available to be a hitting option. The opposite, same thing, and the pipe attack, which is your backcourt attack, same thing. All right, we want to make sure all four hitting options are available to us. Okay, so th- this is I just I, w- I went over a lot of details about free ball transition. You know, they are talking about footwork off the net, both for middles and and pins. Talking about tracking the ball, setting versus uh, setter front row versus setting back row. Then up, you know, play calling, meaning the next in system ball. All four hitters jamming all four hitting lanes to create the one on one or one on nothing. Okay, now let's talk about transition off of a dig. So this could be um, this could be basically off a dig, off a block touch, or or just a swing off through a seam, and we still get a dig. So where where a dig is involved, a, a free ball. By the way, if they send a free ball over to us and we make that we make that play, that's not a dig. Okay, it's not a dig by any means. All right, a dig is off of an attack only, not a free ball. Okay, so. I want to just basic strategy, okay? Basic strategy for for rally situations, not even just anything, just rally situations. The minute we have transition, the minute we have even sometimes serve receive, but let's just we'll just be more specific and say rally situations transition. We always want to go against the flow of the offense. We don't want to be predictable, especially on long rallies. And let me show you what let me tell you what that means. So if we get a ball over the net and we pass this ball closer to position three to four, like in between position three to four, so three and a half, okay? The minute that ball is going towards three and a half closer to position four, the defense is now keying in on the left side of the floor, like the left side attack zone. That's what they're keying in on because naturally all the attention is on the left side position area. 
in between area three and four. And if we set the left side, it's very predictable. The, the defense was already seeing it happen. They're going to probably have an easy double block, if not a triple block, on your hands for your attacker. Okay? Now, if you went against the flow of the offense, meaning if you get jammed over to area three, area four, and pop the ball back to the right side, to area one, area two, now all of a sudden, we're going against the flow. So we're forcing the defense now to play, to make a decision, to show, to demonstrate their skills, to be able to transition accordingly to get up a good block slash defensive system on that ball. And I can tell you from experience, okay, in rally situations, even if you have a setter that can't push a consistent location on the right side, just getting it there and making it hittable is enough to keep the defense guessing or rather keeping them on their, you know, on their toes. Because what happens is if you keep jamming left side, left side, left side, especially on these out of system digs to area three and four, because let's be real, not all digs go to where you want them to go. Sometimes they they get pushed over to the left. Happens quite a bit. We want to be able to have the defense not move closer to the left. We want to keep them reading. Because if we keep them reading, then we'll have a much easier chance to create the one-on-ones. Because if the ball does so happen to get dug to the left side of the court, the middle blocker may instead, instead of just transitioning there already, they may wait in the middle to see where you're going to set. And that's what we want because it enables us to help create the one-on-ones a lot easier. So we want to make sure that we, this, a simple strategy that works really effectively is going against the flow of the offense. All right? Now, I kind of alluded to this, you know, before. With that, we want to try to avoid, you know, left side, left side, left side, because it's the most. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but fifty-three percent of of transition balls go to the left side. Fifty-three percent of transition balls go to the left side. A very small percentage of those go to middle, and then the others get go to uh, opposite and pipe. So that and that's just natural tendencies there. So one, it tells you that your left side's better be good at, put, at putting the ball away. That's for sure. We want, we want to have competent left sides who can score. And also, by going against the flow of the, of the offense, your, their defense now is going to be having to play a low percentage shot or a low percentage likelihood of you setting there, and it's going to give us an advantage. So we want to make sure that we, we try to do that, okay? Um, the other thing, middles. And I talked about this earlier where it comes to middles tracking the ball effectively to know where to go. But I want to just reiterate, middles need to identify the route to take and try your best to be a hitting option. You know, If the ball is passed up to the attack line, middle can still be an option. Let me rephrase that. If the ball is dug close to the attack line, middles can still be an option. You just have to make sure that you are in a position to score. So, for example, the ball is dug, you know, by the attack line closer to area three or even area two and a half, but it's by the attack line. The middle can still run an attack, an inside attack. You can run like the three zone, okay, in between area three and area four. They can go there, and they can still be a hitting option by staying open to your setter so your setter can set you. That's still a viable option, and I think it's a really good option at that. So having your middles have the ability to recognize and do that will help your transition offense. Because middles are important in transition offense, especially in system. But even more so, if they can be an option at a system, that's fantastic. Like, like anything by the attack line. All right? 
And, and again, this is stuff like, you know, understanding that middles need to go behind the setter when they need to. Same with pipe, by the way. Like, pipe needs to recognize to go behind the setter. If the setter, let's say, for example, the ball is passed up and the setter is moving to area three and a half, between area three and four, area four, the pipe needs to go behind the setter, right? Right behind the setter. So the pipe can be an option. So instead now of jamming the left side, because all the, all the attention on the left side, popping it back to the pipe is still a great option, just like popping it back to the right side. <clears throat> all great options, okay? Um... The other thing I, I, I see, I tell you, there's a ton of strategies when it comes to this stuff. So, hope you're taking some notes. You might have to come back to this episode because there's a ton of things we're talking about here. Let's talk about the left side for for a bit, okay? Now, the left side may need to change their route depending on their role in playing defense. So let's let's just understand that for a sec. Let's say the opposing team sets the left side. All right. So our left side, that is front court, is going to peel off the net and play defense. Now, depending on where they play defense or what type of ball they get, they may have to change their approach angle when they're getting ready to swing. So I'll give you a simple example. What happens when the left side peels off the net, right? They're inside the attack line area, and the opposing team tips into that area. Well, the left side now has to go dig a ball at the tip, get back and started getting ready to approach. Now, the likelihood of them being able to move and get outside the court to be ready to play and swing is extremely unlikely. Think about it. They're getting a tip ball inside the court. Now they have to dig that ball, move out to get the right forward to go outside the court and get ready to swing. It's not going to happen. So they may then, instead of doing an outside approach on the left side, they may have to start on the inside and do a slight angled approach so they can still be a hitting option. But it's really important that they practice this so that when it comes to that inside tip, they know the angle that they need to run, and your setter also knows what kind of ball to set them. Instead of a tempo ball to the pin, they're gonna go. A, they could go a tempo ball a little bit more inside, so the left side attacker can still be an option, and hopefully score. Okay, so they're very situ. There's, it's very situational, but we have to understand that. Now, if the left side dug a ball that is a little bit closer to the you know the sideline, sure they can get ready to swing outside. You know, if the left side's coming off a block, making sure they do the right forward to come out, yeah, then we're good to go. But just understanding that like that tip, that 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 just the idea of left side, making sure that you know if they get an inside, if they get a tip inside, they go an inside ball. Having that decision and having that conversation with your team is important and it will help you run a more efficient transition offense okay now <clears throat> next high level item i want to talk about here this is a little bit this is high level okay so far the stuff we're talking about hasn't been too high level i think except for maybe some backcourt attacks but your setter okay <clears throat> does your setter have the ability to take a peek at the middle now this is very high level but it's extremely valuable. And I'll tell you why. If we get an in-system ball, okay, if the ball, let's say it's a free ball. Hypothetically, let's say it's a free ball. If it's a free ball and we pass it up to the setter, if the setter gets established and gets under the ball and can take a quick peek to see where the middle is on the other side of the floor, that setter can now make a better and more informed decision on where to set the ball. And here's a simple example. If, this, if the middle has already released, has already set up a position to block the left side, well, guess what? 
you should run your middle attack because the middle will have a one on nothing or a or a one on a very late one. And that'll be an option. If the middle is staying neutral or the middle is staying in front of our middle, then you know to, you can set it the opposite direction. See, this is how setters seeing where the middle is can really help. Because it happens all the time, especially in transition, rally situations, like rally situations. So imagine you dug, you know, you got, went back and forth once, ball came back over, we passed it. If, if that middle who's scrambling from offense to defense now, if you see they're out of position or they're favoring one side of the court, you can set the opposite side and create that one-on-one a lot easier. So again, if you're doing a 13U, 14U team, you're probably not going to be doing this. But the higher level you go, the more I want you to be aware of this. Okay, so have setters take a peek. And it's very easy to train, by the way. In practice, you could have a coach over there and a coach can just, with his fingers, with his or her fingers, just put up a number like one, two, three, four, five. And then the setter just has to take a peek, tell you the number, and then set the ball. You know, the little things like that will help the setter start training themselves to look over and then set the ball. Okay. All right. So, yeah, so that, that's pretty much what I want to talk about when it comes to the setter. Now, I do want to mention one more thing. I know it's a lot, a lot of strategies today. One more thing. And this is, again, dealing with transition. We need to be patient, okay? This is probably the hardest thing for young athletes to do. You know what? It's one of the hardest things for my college athletes to do unless they're experienced. My more experienced athletes get this, and this is what it, what it means. Sometimes... You know, especially when we dig, we, we dig a ball when there's no seam or we dig a ball when it touched the block. Sometimes you may not get a set that is of your choosing or sometimes you may get a ball that is not the best ball to make an attack out of. And what I want you to realize is you have to train your players to not just hit the ball without any intention, without any purpose. Just try to blast it or just try to just, you know, we want to hit with intention. We want to be intelligent with our shot. So if you get a ball, maybe the left side didn't get enough time to make an approach and they're not going to have any good momentum to get a swing in. Well, what you do is you be patient and you make a calculated decision at the time. Normally, what you would want to do is recycle. A recycle means you hit the ball 40 to 50% off the top of the blocker's hands and it comes back on your side of the court. And what that enables you to do, it enables you to get a second opportunity. So maybe the first opportunity wasn't great. It was a scattered ball. Who knows what the, who knows what happened? But now by recycling it, it comes back on your side. You get to get a nice controlled ball up to your setter. And now we have all four hitters jamming all four hitting lanes, which will provide us with a better opportunity to score. See how being patient there helps? Or you can take the setter out. Maybe you just just have enough time to tip the ball, take the setter out, putting the other team out of system and hoping that you get a ball back where you can transition and score on. Or you tip into the pot. The pot is in the very middle of the court where they're forced to dig and potentially give you a free ball back or an out of system ball back. But what we don't want to do is have an unforced error. My This is my pet peeve. Drives me nuts is when attackers hit the ball into the net when they have a ball that's playable it is it it drives me nuts because you just gave them a point without them doing anything and at the higher level this is why you rarely see balls you will see balls going out of bounds sure 
out of bounds happens. Also that you know, you try to go deep corner, or you try to go deep or whatever, and it went out of bounds. That happens. That is a that's an that's an error that I can live with because it shows me you're being intentional with your shots. Unless it was a really really like stupid play and you you blasted it out for no reason. But hitting into the net is by far you have full control of that. <clears throat> and at the very very rare case where you get jammed by the setter, I don't know. Even then, I still think you, there's ways around it. But hitting into the net is not acceptable. That is a pet peeve of mine, and my players know it. At the very least, force the other team to play defense. At the very least. Recycling is one of my number one options, but the other ones is, you know, tip into the pot, swipe, do anything that you can to force the other team to play defense. Okay? All right. Um, I'll, I'll finish off with one more thing here uh, in terms of drills. Honestly, six on six, anything six on six. You can do uh, you can do six on six, five free balls to each side. You know, and then you have a winner at the end. You can do attackers versus defenders, things like that, where you have to score two points to get one big point. You can have fun with it, but there's really no, uh, you know, I, I like to do five free balls each, and then you go and then you play. And then sometimes I'll do like, a, in order to get one big point, um, if you get the first free ball and score, the other team will get that free ball. And if you stop them from getting that free ball, you score one point. That's kind of like a, a nice, easy way of, of doing it to get one big point. So it's kind of like you're working on your, your offensive transition as well as getting that defensive stop. Okay, so let's do a quick recap because there were a lot of things we talked about today. All right. <clears throat> so you may have to come back to this episode and take some notes because, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it, was kind of, it was a lot of strategy. And you know what? I condensed these down, believe it or not. I condensed them down because I had so much notes. But I think these are the more important ones. The other ones are like tiny micro things these are this is the bread and butter of transition offense so let's just recap we have 50 percent of offense comes from transition so remember that okay 50 percent of offense comes from transition there are four to six types of transition stuff we have free ball transition we have overpass we have attack off the block attack seams for both in system attack and out of system attack okay we talked about the footwork so four steps off the net for left sides and opposites and then three steps for middles we talked about middles effectively tracking the ball. We don't want to run into the setter or be in the way of the setter when the setter's setting. We talked about setting versus uh, when the setter's front row versus when the setter's back row. So remember, when the setter's back row, our player in position six comes over, player in position five goes to six, player in position four goes to five, so we can transition accordingly. Because remember, most free balls are not going to the front row unless it's like unless they're volleying it over and it's very clear they're trying to go short, then you just move up and play the short ball. But if they're bumping the ball over with their platform, generally it's going to go in the backcourt. Um, we talked about play calling. So remember, play calling refers to the next in-system ball, whenever that is. That is when you execute whatever the setter play called. And by the way, I have an entire episode on setter signals and stuff like that. I, I forgot. I didn't write write the episode down. So you may have to scroll through and see, but it, it, it's in there. Um, we talked about you know all four hitters jamming all four hitting lanes and making sure we do that to create the one-on-one or one-on-nothing. Okay. And then we talked about, you know, transitioning with a dig and seams and stuff like that and basic offensive strategy. Basic offensive strategy is go against the flow of the offense. We don't want to be predictable, especially on long rallies. And I did mention, remember, if even if you have a setter who can't push a consistent location, at least get the ball there and make it hittable because if we do that, the defense will be aware that we are spreading the offense and utilizing the entire floor, and that pays dividends in late-game situations, I promise you. So you want to do that. 
And uh, like I said, 50, 53% of transition attacks go to the left side. So knowing that, we want to make sure we're trying to you know, do some of the opposite things. But again, you know, you got to think about it. If you got your best converter on the left side, then I completely understand that as long as they're, as long as they're still converting. Okay. You know, middles need to be part as much as they can, if, especially if the ball is passed to the attack line. Yes, it's off the net. Yes, it may not be completely in system, but if the middle can recognize and, and, and go to the net, you know, run that area between three and four, they can still be a hitting option and be available. And we always want to have our middles be a hitting option as much as we can. Okay. Again, if they can go behind the setter, if they need, if the setter gets jammed over to area three, area four, understanding that and going behind the setter and also communicating with them saying, Hey, I'm behind you. I'm behind you. That's, that's really good. Same with pipes. You know, your pipe hitter will go behind the setter. If the setter gets pushed over a little more towards the left side of the court. <clears throat> oh, we talked big. This is a big one. Left side front court, making sure that they choose the easiest route in transition. You know, if they are getting a tip, you know, if the other team's left side tips the ball into area four, making sure that they get there, get the tip, and understand that it's probably difficult to go outside, so have an inside route they can run and make sure the setter knows they're going to run that inside route on a, on a tip, on a dug ball in, inside the court there, okay? Does your setter have the ability to take a peek at the middle? Yes, very high-level stuff here, um, but extremely valuable because, like we mentioned, you can see if the middle blocker is releasing early or the middle blocker is staying on our middle attacker. You can see that to help make easier and better decisions because I'll tell you something, at the higher level, sometimes a setter with a better... Actually, I'll tell you this. A setter that makes m better decisions will generally be the setter that sets the ball. Even if the set, even if there's, even if the setter who doesn't make great decisions has a better set, if that setter who makes better decisions can still put the ball in a hittable location, they're probably going to get the job, because it's about decisions when it comes to setting. Because we we want to assume that location and setting technique, all that stuff will come, and it should be already be and should already be there hopefully. <clears throat> but setting decisions, big big part of high level volleyball, huge part. All right, the last thing we talked about was be patient. As an attacker, you want to be patient. Recycle the ball. Get the ball back on our side of the floor so we can now have all four attackers. Or at the very least, tip into the defense, make them force them to play defense. Take the setter out, push them out of system. Okay, do anything else and my pet peeve is hitting the tape. Unacceptable in our gym because you have full control of what you do with that ball. Hitting the tape is a non-negotiable. You can get I rather you get blocked before you hit the tape. Okay. All right. So those are the big ones there. Now, listen, coaches, there's a lot of stuff here. So I want you to go back and take some notes. Now, if you are a DVA member, you're very lucky because you have entire trainings on this inside DVA that you can go and take a look at. And I have videos showing you how to, how to run different routes and things like that. So you can go under systems and the coaches blueprint and see all this stuff. So really, really big, big point of emphasis here. Um, but for, and for the rest of you, um, if you are interested in checking these, these videos out and more of this training, digitalvolleyballacademy.com, just go on there, get more information on how to join it. If you don't know what DVA is, DVA is my mentorship academy for coaches where I get a chance to bring you into my world. You get access to all my courses based on all the positions and skills in our game, behind the scenes to what we do in our gym, all my practice plans, documents. You get access to me twice a month where we engage in live training and Q&A and you basically get the mentorship. 
that took my coaching to the next level, having that support system. And we have over 250 coaches inside DVA that you get a chance to connect with. So that's pretty cool too. All right. So it's it's really for coaches who just want to take their game to the next level. And it's not um it's not just a library. This is not a, oh, I'm going to go and look at a thousand videos because that's not going to help you be a better coach. This is a system, a proven system that has seen hundreds of coaches see results because of how we help you take your coaching to the next level. So anyways, digitalvolleyballacademy.com and definitely, definitely get more information there. All right. That's it for me. Thank you so much for listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. I'll see you guys next week. Take care. All right. Cue the music. Look, are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training? And instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days. When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.